Du, du, du. What's a set rap? What's a set rap? What is a set rap? Set rap. It's set, a situation report. <coughs> yeah, I think so. On what are we set rapping on? Well, before we get into the topic of this week's show, I think we should just quickly get out of the way the biggest news last week. That slap at the Oscars. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That was It was just shocking. It was just yeah. shocking, shocking. It was a it was a it was a welcome <coughs> respite. I have so many From opinions the about it. I, I just I could do a whole two hours on it. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I have just so many opinions. I would definitely do. But yeah. we won't do that this week. Yeah. Unless one of you really wants to. Um, it should be fairly understandable what was going on there. But so figure yeah. it out yourself. Yeah. <clears throat> it was striking to me, though, that it took place, it seemed, on Sunday night, European time when we went to bed. I suppose the Oscars were going to take place about five, six hours later. The thing that was trending last Sunday um, was the video or two, including the one that we showed on the last show of Russian prisoners of war being tortured to death. It was I saw it quite a bit on Twitter. Being shot in the, shot in the legs, you mean? Yeah. 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 And bleeding out. I mean, they died, I presume. I don't think they were kept alive. Who knows? And... Uh, yeah, as horrific, as horrific as that was, Twitter, it was up on Twitter. The, you know, iterations of those videos were not removed. I haven't seen any talk about them since because when I woke up on Monday morning, European time, Oscars, wall to wall, tens of millions of retweets and everyone has an opinion. Though. Mm-hmm. That's kind of symptomatic of the West really, isn't it? You know, this historic stuff going down that directly impacts, you know, your, your budget right now. But it's like, everyone look over here. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's addictive. Um, we all know we shouldn't be kind of getting drawn into it's it, but we so, are. It's, like, it's so spurious and you know, insignificant. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's crass. It's crass bullshit. Like, you know, yeah. two actors slapping each other at a, at a celebration for actors. You know? At a celebration, right. <clears throat> That no one would even have known was happening but for it. So, yeah, in Ukraine, um, well, the big move, I suppose, they announced... Russia's been defeated. They've all gone home. (laughs) Haven't you heard? They're completely defeated. It's it's over. It's done. Glory to to Ukraine. Glory to heroes. Glory to Nazi heroes. Uh, No. That's what I get from the Western media. It's all done. It's over. That's what I want to believe. If I'm a, you know, if I'm a dyed-in-the-wool, Western liberal, only get my news from the media type person, then that's what I want to hear, you know? My heart bleeds uh, for, for all the, 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 the people suffering in, in, in Ukraine, and I'm very angry. I'm shaking uh, at the very thought of, of Putin and his evil machinations. He's just a worker. He's worse than Hitler. Um, and I just want it all to be over. I want to believe that it's all over and the bad guys, the chosen bad guys, the guys that I'm told that are, are the bad guys have been defeated and, uh, and the unicorns and bunny rabbits can come back and all the scary stuff goes away. It sounds like you should be watching CNN. I do watch CNN. That's where I get that, no, that, I that mean message from. No, I mean only yeah. watch CNN. Yeah. I know somebody who only reads The Guardian. That's self-confessed told to me when I was arguing with him about various issues, you know, politics, anything. And um, one of his comebacks was, I only read The Guardian. 
as if that that's how I know I'm right. <laughs> right, as if that's a feather in your cap type thing. That's where I get my objective, objective daily dose of reality from. Um, <clears throat> yeah, well, there has been there's some truth to what I'm saying in a certain sense, at least from... I'm not lying when, they say, when I say that that's what the Western media has been, has been putting out there, Western governments have been putting out there that uh, Russia's on the back foot. They've been saying that for several weeks, but really, now they've, 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 uh, <coughs> they've retreated from Kiev, because that's a big, a big win. They've retreated from Chernobyl. And the Ukrainian Chernyev, but sounds similar. No, no, Chernobyl. Chernobyl plant yeah. itself. Oh, Pripyat, which is a ghost town with nobody in it. They raised the Ukrainian flag over it. It's got zero inhabitants because it's just it was a town that was built for Chernobyl for the building mm. of Chernobyl, but it was evacuated after the Chernobyl meltdown. But they took Chernobyl, basically the, the nuclear power plant, back because the Russians left it. Right, uh, and so now that the the, <laughs> the Ukrainians are saying that they're. The border, they can now control the border between Belarus and, and Ukraine, which I don't know what that means. It means that, what, they can invade Belarus or something? Uh, <laughs> I suppose if you want to look at it that way. Uh, but the Russians left, and they left the outskirts of Kiev, where they had uh, been occupying a few couple of different towns uh, for the past, well, right from the, almost from the very beginning, uh, specifically Irpin and uh, Bucha, and, um, or Bucha, whatever way you say it. Uh, they've left those two towns, uh, retreated back out of them anyway. Um, did that a few days ago, actually, three or four days ago. And all the way up to the border with Belarus is now under that's what the, that's Ukrainian what control. Well, that's what they claim. On, yeah, yeah. Or that's agreed. The way is no open. One, one way is open up to the Belarus border anyway, like for them, let's say. Cause right. But of course, at least there has been some admission that the reasons the Russians have backed away from that... Uh, that uh, foray or that 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 push down towards the outskirts of Kiev was because it's because they're uh, reassigning, redeploying troops, the yeah. troops from there to Donbass to to the east because they've achieved their objectives so far, and part of their objectives was was to create the impression that they were going to uh, take Kiev, which everybody talked about, and this is where the whole they were going to take Kiev in two days, just because I mean. A, a few Russian helicopters fly into Hostomel Airport, which or Hostomel Airport, which is not far outside Kiev, on the first day of the invasion, or the first or second day of the invasion, and they occupy that airport for for a while, and um, that was construed by all the pundits, the idiot pundits in the West, as oh, they're taking Kiev. This is the first go. They've taken this airport, and then troops were moving into the, you know, moving towards the outskirts of Kiev, and Kiev was then going to be taken in a few days. Well, there were a lot of tanks that came down there, no? Yeah, yeah. They had a 40-kilometer-long... Convoy. Well, it stayed on the road. Long. But yeah. it stayed on the road, remember? Mm-hmm. And the reason was, oh, this is a complete disaster. They're not moving because they can't supply it with fuel. Oh, they yeah, don't know what yeah, to do. It's, yeah, yeah. I mean, they well, got Every so, commentary on it is just so wrong. It's so yeah. idiotic. And, and like, the, th- the thing about it is, what's annoying is the media is putting this out and people are taking it up. And... But behind the scenes in government, and the government is even saying it and, and, and echoing those kind of, you know, anti, you know, like statements that are denigrating or dismissive of the Russian military prowess, etc., and their advances and saying they're on the back foot, they're delayed, they've stalled, they're, they're freezing. Remember, they're freezing to death, frostbite, right. frostbite. And in like about zero degrees, they were getting frostbite. Because they had no shoes, obviously, because the Russian military is so crap, it doesn't even supply the truth with shoes or socks. 
Not uh, even and, so. and the media was kind of like, or the, the media's putting that out and Western populations, the Twitterati are taking it up and repeating it and all the Ukrainian propaganda outlets that are all being organised, uh, well, they're organising themselves and they're also being directed and organised by Western, particularly British and American uh, PR firms, basically, who are running this PR campaign because the PR campaign is, as has been stated many times in many other conflicts, is as important as a military campaign. The PR campaign. You need to win the information war because it is seen as having a direct impact on the on the ultimate outcome on what happens afterwards. Has anyone told Russia this? No, Russia ignores all of that and just carries on. But, but this you is just all said Western. they need to, huh? You just said they need to. That's the key. They who, should be focused on that. Who does? Well, you just said that one needs to win the uninformation war. That's the Western narrative. You have to win the information ah, war. The That's why they're organising big PR firms in the West, in London, in Washington, D.C., are being have been mobilised to organise the information war because for the West, the information war is absolutely important. Russia, For Russia, it's not so important, the information war, because they don't really care because they've lost the information war, at least as it, as it, as it is, has been framed over the past 10 years, let's say, mm. the, Russia, the information war between the West and Russia has been lost by Russia. It was lost, definitively lost, in 2014 when MH17 was shot down by parties unknown and landed in eastern Ukraine in the Donbass. And the very next day, the British tabloids and other newspapers had Putin killed my baby across the broadsheets. Mm -hmm. And then since then, he's been poisoning people with Novichok. He's been uh, slaughtering civilians in, um, in Syria. Oh, Syria. He's mm -hmm. been uh, poisoning uh, uh, political dissidents, Navalny. Right outside um, the Kremlin walls. Who was that? Oh, he was a Ukrainian politician. Right, yeah. yeah. So the Russians have lost that information war in the sense of having at least anybody who, you know, having anybody who, who has... Uh, most of the, let's say most of the population or a decent percent of the population in the West has been mind-programmed over the past 8 to 10 years to believe that Russia is evil, Putin is evil, he's an evil autocrat, he wants to re, uh, re, recreate the Soviet empire. That's why he's in Ukraine. That's his whole, he's a killer, as Joe Biden said. Uh, he poisons people. That information was lost in terms of the image of Russia and with Putin, Russia mm -hmm. under Putin. That was lost a long time ago. So Russia doesn't really... What's there? There's nothing left. What do they want to call him? That he's a devil worshipper? What's the worst? Pedophile? I haven't called him a pedophile yet. They tried. I remember years ago. Yeah. There was a kind of a flip campaign where it was, it was reverse psychology. Putin was putting out legislation in 2014, just before um, mm -hmm. Ukraine blew up, actually. Um, it's actually legislation that's just been mirrored similar in Florida, which caused a, a hoo-ha in the United States, basically against... Um, Legislation to, to try and counter teach, the propaganda, propagandizing of children about the whole gender, LGBT, gender the whole sexuality, thing. that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I remember at the time there was a kind of a insidious – it only lasted a week because it had nothing to stand on. But you, you just throw out the opposite lie. You say Putin's a pedo mm, and yeah. they try to bring up evidence. Yeah. <clears throat> but, so my point here is, is that that uh, information war is lost and all of the – and when you say information war in this context, it's, it's primarily lies almost entirely lies and manipulations and twisting distortion of the truth in order to achieve your, your victory in the information war, which is to pitch your enemy as the epitome of evil. Uh, they've done that with Putin and Russia long before now. So they have a lot of, uh, they have a, lot of a, they have a good foundation 
well-established foundation to build on with issue, with Ukraine, right? They didn't have to convince many people in the West too hard that Putin was an evil dictator because they've been saying that for eight years, right? And everybody believes it with all the evidence, like I just mentioned. So, But the, strange, the annoying thing about that is, is that people behind the scenes in the West know very well that all of that is lies. But they go along with it because they know it's part of the information war, which is a war to or a, a campaign of lies and manipulations and half-truths in order to achieve their objectives. And, and it's very strange, if you think about it, what they, what they believe a tangible objective is of doing that, you know? Uh, because it obviously doesn't affect Russia. It hasn't stopped Russia from taking the action that it's taken. So it's primarily focused on Western populations and getting them to believe um, a certain thing about a certain country or a certain leader. And it's the only thing that the only way it makes sense, or that it becomes a tangible uh, good or a benefit to them, is that it it gets public support for their actions against other countries or whoever their target is. I mean, they did it with Saddam Hussein, for example, and that had a the reason for the information war, the demonization of Saddam Hussein and his weapons of mass destruction, was to uh, garner public public support for a military intervention, military intervention in, in Iraq or a war in Iraq. So in this case... Well, it's also designed to demoralize the population of your target. Yeah, but it doesn't work in this case either for some no. reason. It does work. So it's almost it, like they're it, doing it, it like... Can they, take, it can take and has taken in the past. The yeah, color but it seems that it's not happening here. And yes. the, the, the Russian people, it's not working in this case, but they don't have anything else. So they just do the same thing that they've always done. They don't have another plan B, you know. Uh, anyway, uh, so, but they know behind the scenes, the, the intelligent people and intelligence people know very well that all of this is lies. They know that Russia is not losing, and it, that that bit of that kind of information leaks out now and again when some <clears throat> some uh, uh, media outlet actually goes and bothers to talk to uh, someone in the intelligence community who will actually say something a bit more truthful. And there, that we, we had an article last week from um, what was it from? It wasn't MSN? Was it MSNBC? I don't know. Can't it, remember that. It was, but it was about uh, quoted intelligence officials about. Uh, and it was a much more objective, yeah. realistic, maps to reality assessment of the situation. Anyway. Um, Just as a side note, Putin, uh, polls in Russia show that Putin's popularity has increased yeah. since the start of this. So for what it's worth, because the response to that would be, well, uh, polls in Russia and the media in Russia is all controlled by a dictator. Ergo, you're going to get results that map to my assumptions that that's what it's like in Russia, yeah. so they're not reliable. But Yeah, so this week, basically, um, like I just said, Russia has achieved stage one of its objectives in, in Ukraine, which was to, I think I mentioned this last week as well, uh, which was to secure Crimea and... Connect uh, the Donbass and the Crimea Donbass along and, the, and Crimea and along the south. At the minute, you have uh, in the eastern heart, part of the uh, western part of Donbass, you have uh, still a large concentration of Ukrainian forces who were there uh, for well back into last year in preparation for an invasion of Donbass, mm -hmm. which is part of the reason that Russia uh, actually you know started this uh, incursion, military, military, special military operation, as they like to call it, in, into Ukraine. Uh, so it was to... How many? 
There's I've heard, I've heard yeah, Scott Ritter 60, say 120,000. Who knows? 60,000 at least. Um, the bulk of the Ukrainian military and the trained, well-trained you know, yes. military forces and their equipment basically are there in the eastern half on the edges of and in Donbass. And so it was to push them further back uh, out of, you know, and they have pushed them back out of certain towns and settlements in Donbass back towards the kind of like, they're still in about half of it, let's say, but they wanted to secure Crimea and specifically Mariupol where most of the Azov battalion uh, and the Ukrainian army were. They've pretty much dealt with that now. So, and the Kiev thing, so the point of the Kiev thing, and I think I said this last week as well, was the, I don't know if I said it last week or not, did I? Anyway, point of the Kiev incursion just to the outskirts of Kiev was to, I mean, other people have talked about this during the week, uh, that it was a feint. It's a pretty standard, well-known strategy where you pretend that you're going to make, make it look like you're going to invade a certain key strategic area, but you're not. And that ties down the opposition forces in that area, leaving you free to do what you're doing in another part of the country, right? Mm-hmm. So now that they've basically secured their objectives in the east, uh, they can take those forces back out of the surrounding the northern areas of, of outside Kiev and put, re- redeploy them and bring in more troops to finish off the situation in Donbass, which is deal with the, the, the 60,000 plus Ukrainian troops in that area. Once that's done, um, uh, well, once that, once that is completed, and it'll take a while, um, that'll, it'll kind of be almost game over at that point. Um, because, on. because well, because I'm you're laughing, but not because that doesn't sound at all realistic. But <laughs> this is this is big. I mean, yeah, it'll be game Ukraine over. is big. Yeah, it is. It's a big country, but I mean, the, the Ukraine has a lim- obviously it has a, a sizable army, uh, but most of its military uh, military industrial infrastructure has been destroyed. Yeah, uh, which they admit themselves. A, a significant part, more than fifty percent of a lot of its artillery and tanks, etc., have been destroyed. Uh, they're no longer available and they can't replace them because the military-industrial complex, complexes have been destroyed. Uh, a lot of fuel depots have been destroyed, so they can't refuel uh, a lot of them. And a country like Ukraine is big, but most of it's just land and relatively peaceful, uh, not very inclined to revolt or form an insurgency population. A big country like Ukraine with a big army, they deploy that army to specific areas. If they're defeated in those areas, it doesn't matter. They're not no longer in the rest of the country, and the rest of the country is um, can be uh, doesn't need to be invaded. Let's say they don't need to take Kiev in this situation, where the Ukrainian military has been more or less destroyed, up to seventy five, eighty percent destroyed, including the in terms of, uh, of of the military equipment and the military supply chains, the ability to, to supply that military, like as you said, in the military industrial complex where they can't has been destroyed where they can't produce any more, you know, military equipment, well, then it's game over. You know, uh, at a certain point, uh, no matter how many forces are left in terms of infantry, if they, if they don't have anything to fight with, effectively fight with anymore, they're done. They'll be allowed to go back home. But, and that's it. That's the end of a war, you know. Mm-hmm. Wars don't end when you've killed all of the soldiers and destroyed all of the equipment, you know. It's, it's, it's at a certain percentage of that, you know, and most particularly when, you, when you've destroyed their ability to actually fight in terms of having yeah. things, the, something if, to if fight If the tanks with. run out of fuel, you abandon the tanks. Or if you don't have any more tanks. Yeah. Or you've only got 20% of your tank forces left. I mean, they're not that stupid, right? I mean, this claim by Zelensky keeps making of, you know, we'll fight the last man and stuff is just it's 
propaganda and you mm-hmm. have to expect this and this is what people aren't expecting and don't understand it, that the amount of propaganda that comes out in, in a wartime situation like this is, is ridiculous you know and you have to really know that to be able to look through and find out see what's actually going on yeah. uh, on this note I want to say something about the uh, the scale because people maybe uh, kind of us me included anyway when this began we thought oh, well this will be over quickly because Ukraine's in, in disrepair, it's fifty-seven billion dollars in the hole. It's you know a completely zombie state financially. But um, I overlooked, but you didn't, because you, you were keeping an eye on this on the, on the scale of Ukraine's military. It always was a large-standing military, but it was substantially, if not completely, rearmed, retrained in these years since twenty fourteen and now. So for scale comparison. Ukraine, if you include its reserves, has a larger standing army than France, mm-hmm. which is the next biggest army in Europe. And here we're excluding Russia. Pretend it's not in Europe for a mm-hmm. second. That's the scale we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Germany's doesn't even come close, mm-hmm. assuming we include reserves, because it brings it up to 600,000 in numbers of troops. But it's also matching military equipment and weaponry, mm-hmm. or it was until mm-hmm. a month ago. Mm-hmm. So it's um, something people have to get their heads around. That's, of course, this is taking time. Of course, uh, mm-hmm. um, and there there's up. resistance, right? You know, it's it is, re- and, and in this respect, the the framing of this as the biggest European war since World War II is correct. Mm-hmm. There's an awful twist in it where the Russians are now the Nazis in mm-hmm. the propaganda, and, and the, the Ukrainians the glorious defenders of, of democracy. That's the twist, of course. But it, it, other than that, it is actually a huge military yeah. conflict, the likes of which we haven't yeah. seen. And it's following a plan, a very carefully laid plan with very specific goals and specific, uh, a specific procedure to follow, follow. And we've mentioned this before as well. One of the procedures is clearly to minimize as much as possible human uh, civilian civilian casualties. Uh, an example of that, actually, if you just throw up... Um, Let's throw up Iraq. Uh, let's throw up Ukraine casualties. JPEG. Um, so this is from the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, recorded on 29th of March, whatever total. So total 1,179 civilians killed. There's a breakdown. And injured. So that number, 1,179 in about six, six weeks or so. Six weeks, is it? Um, five. Five to six weeks. Anyway, one one seven nine civilian casualty. Throw up uh, Iraq casualties. The other JPEG. This is in sixty sixty eight weeks. So two thousand three. Add those numbers together, you get about seven and a half thousand. One one seven nine to about seven and a half thousand. American American civilian casualties in Iraq in the same period of time. Seven times the civilian casualties in six weeks, in the same amount of time comparing Ukraine to Iraq. I don't think the UN figure includes Mariupol, though. There's a delay, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, but still, uh, there's not thousands and thousands of people killed in, in, in Mariupol. And that was up to up to the 29th. That's only well, th- we, three, four days, three days ago, yeah. four days ago. We don't know that for sure yet. Um, I'm sorry if I'm way wrong here, but consider this. Scott Ritter's estimate of the number of Ukrainian forces 
that the Russians encountered when they went into the city three weeks ago was about 50,000. It's down to the last few whatever is left now. It's really – it's done. It's about to be done. Two helicopters tried to escape last week and they yeah. were shot down, full of, you know, well, packed full of the last fighters. Right. With two, with two French intelligence officers. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think the figure I have my – Mariupol's population is half a million. 400,000 were trapped there. The Russians have helped through, throughout the stop-start of the last three weeks because so they weren't all gung-ho, in fact – um, about half of the remaining 400, so 200,000 have left. I think there's about 200,000 people still in the city. So that's what I'm saying, that there is fertile ground there for there actually being a lot of civilian casualties we don't know about yet. Specifically, those who are used as human shields by the 50-some thousand Ukrainian f- fighters who were there. Mm. <clears throat> so yeah. th- there is ground there for discovering uh, a horror show. Yeah, maybe, but I don't think, I don't think because the same policies were, were, were followed in as they have and you have to remember that there were other significant uh, towns and cities of hundreds of, of 100,000 plus people uh, that were that are included in the number of 1179 that the Russians have followed through and if you want to if you want to follow it on if you want me to underline the point 1.5 million people died in Iraq are you suggesting that's going to happen in Ukraine I mean, the point is that it's, they've clearly uh, have, have a plan and, and that's part of the reason why it's, quote-unquote, going slow is because they take a very different approach to the Americans took in Iraq. Yeah. America, I mean, th- that number in Iraq of 7,500 in the first six weeks doesn't include Fallujah. Yeah. If, if I push it on three or four months from the... From, from, put it this way, if we put it forward, if we include Mariupol and, and include another three or four months or, or six months... The number in Iraq goes up to twenty, thirty thousand, forty thousand civilian dead. Are you suggesting that's what's going to happen in, in in Ukraine? Based on the way that the Russian military have been proceeding so far, and that they've no reason to continue to to, uh, to 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 not continue to proceed in the same way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, the comparison. I mean, it's not no, just that comparison. The comparison is also in terms of how, my, my point here is is that. It's obviously very different. You know, sh- shock and awe. Sure, yeah. America fired 500 cruise missiles on the very first night, indiscriminately hitting water treatment, uh, sanitation, uh, electricity plants on the very first night. The, the whole but, attitude is totally know, different, know, which but, implies a much reduced civilian casualty yeah. count. But the battleground is completely different. Here, Ukraine is so polarized that the defending forces, the quote-unquote forces of resistance... It's in their interest to maximize the deaths of their own people. Yeah. That's but, the hard... But that's taken into consideration by the Russians. That's what I'm saying. That's yeah. the point is that, that that's understood that that would be part of... That was understood and is understood as part of the plan. And they've seen that it has, ha- has been happening. And it's part of the reason why Russia is, quote-unquote, going slow because they're taking care to not just wipe out buildings. Show me, show me airstrikes that you, from any videos you've seen of Ukraine where you see... Uh, this, the sizable uh, Russian air forces, uh, Russian air force c- 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 capability, just dropping uh, five hundred pound bombs on buildings. Well, they know there's some Azov battalion nuclear forces in it, and who gives a shit if there's any civilians in it? Where, where have you seen videos of that? You haven't, but you see videos of that, of that from Iraq all the time. Mm. Massive explosions. It's obviously not happening. That's where you get a massive civilian count, where you just bomb the shit out of the place and lay waste to everything in front of you. 
that's where you, you get up to 1.5 million people uh, as they have in Iraq, as they mm-hmm. did in Iraq over, over the first five or six years. That's, my point is it's not going to happen in Ukraine because that is not, clearly not the strategy. And it doesn't matter how much the Ukrainian forces try to uh, uh, use, human, use human shields yeah. and dig in. Yeah. You know, the Russians still take care to avoid that to the greatest extent possible, which in the end result is going to mean a much significant, much much reduced civilian casualty count than wars that the U.S. has, has engaged in. And it's already seen. And, and so the first six weeks prove that that is their, that is their policy. And there's no reason. And that has there's been... There's no reason to... to, to and it's also, that has been that the policy of the Ukrainian forces during those first six weeks as well, to hide behind human shields. So why don't we have a much increased... Uh, you know, when we have a large civilian count because the Ukrainians have been hiding behind civilian, casu- uh, civilian shields for six weeks. Yeah. But why is it only 1,100? Surely it should be 11,000 if they're doing that, you know? Yeah. But that's a bait for the Russians and they're simply not taking the bait because that's not the way they want to proceed because they know, and, and this is where a kind of propaganda war happens. Uh, this is the Russian propaganda war. The Russian propaganda war is tied with their military procedure their military plan and the strategy of keep of not having ukrainians hate them for the next 10 generations exactly yeah exactly uh whereas the west wants and has it wants ukrainians done. to hate russians for the next 10 generations right through propaganda means through lying and making things up and that takes us to uh, the, the, the the situation that came out in um that has been across the headlines over the past couple of days and it's like taking up all the yeah. all the space on on, on twitter Mostly on Twitter uh, and other social media where the West is screaming about this area. Uh, Bucha. Bucha and Irpin, which are the two... Um, Satellite suburbs of, of northern Kiev. Yes, northwestern uh, outside of Kiev. Now, um, the... Well, we'll just show a couple of videos. Um Let's, the, the one that probably most people are, are seeing is uh, it's Kyrian Congress Twitter tw- a Twitter link Scotty Kyrian Congress uh, <laughs> I have a video of the the, the Butcher yeah. convoy moving in yeah well it's probably the, yeah but it's the same one probably it's this one right um, we can just play it there so this has been this is the preeminent piece of evidence I suppose they're calling it of so this is Ukrainian insurgents, if I can call them that, uh, driving down a street, a street in, in Bucha, which is quite a small little, it's not even a, it's a small town, basically. Uh, like we said, in the northwestern outskirts of Ukraine of Kiev, and so they drive around basically bodies on the street, um, and then this is being construed as or being used to claim that the Russian forces did this. Because they have now left here, right? So they've retreated from the north of Kiev to send them back towards, send soldiers back towards Donbass. Um, and this is these people were totally shot. The whole narrative is shot. These people were shot. Uh, ha- shot. Many of them with their hands bound. Yeah. Some of them with 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 white, some kind of white binding on their hands or whatever. This at the, and at the beginning of that video, there's is, is that one? No. Yes, it's at the beginning, basically where. People are um, claiming, and even the Russian Defense Ministry, Ministry of Defense, came out. Uh, if you just play it at the start, there it's that first, uh, 
first body in the street. Um, if you just play it, play it again. Maybe not the first one, but there's the first t- time where the, where the camera pans to the uh, to the rearview mirror. This uh, guy here. Yeah. And the next one. That must be the next one, is it? Is that the same video? I think the other video we've seen takes well, anyway, two pieces. I have it if you want. It's shorter. Yeah, well, I, I, I think I have another one. It's um, Nexa. Nexta. Um, this basically tries to... Because people have said that basically one of, the, one of the guys, one of the bodies moves. Uh, and therefore, these are sta- this is staged, right? It's like crisis actors. It's, mm. you know, false flag, basically. You just play that. It's just a short one uh, showing that... When I looked at it and I saw these people came in that this body had moved. Um, Specifically that guy. Um, so the guy on the right. Yeah. That the, Sorry, yeah. The claim is that his hand moved. Yeah, just play it again. It's not in the rear view. It's not in the side, side mirror, actually. It's If you look at the, the guy on the right... I don't want this to play it. There we go. You just watch that. You see this? See that movement there? Uh, claiming that's a movement. Did you see it, Scotty? Yeah. Uh, it's obviously just play it again on your tier. Can you slide the slider along? Mm, no. no. Well, pr- press, maybe press play and then slide it. I don't, I don't think it does that, does it? I have a short video that does a replay motion. Oh yeah, of okay. A specific incident. Okay. Um, sending to you now, Scotty. So this was t- some, taken by someone, and they zoomed in on on this particular um, body on the street, apparently to show a, move, a movement of his hand. <clears throat> so this guy here, as the car passes, you see apparently his right hand. And this, this is the second incident where in the rearview mirror, someone supposedly they've just passed is rolling over as if to get up. Yeah. Now, the, it's, look how pixelated it is. That's not sure. There's no evidence. And it's coming into view from the, from the kind of convex or concave. Uh, rearview mirror, yeah. Go back to the start of the first one. <coughs> or the first part of that. This guy here hand see that? moves. There, you see that? They claim, but... That's a, that's basically. It's not even a. At first, I thought it was a a drop of water or something going up the the screen, but it's it's more likely actually to be a a little fl- a lens flare basically yeah. along the screen. It's a reflection on the on the windscreen of the car. So, and it's weird the Russian Ministry of Defense have even put that out there on the Telegram channel, saying that this is you know making these two claims that this arm moves and and the other one is a body moving and stuff. And it's obviously not the case. Far more likely. I mean, well, you, for, can I ask you to, to say the statement from the Russian Foreign Ministry, which is different? You, yeah. you didn't, you didn't claim crisis act. It just said simply that stories about um, Buka have appeared in, in foreign media all at once, um, which looks to us like a planned media campaign. Yeah. Taking into account that our troops, Russian troops, left the city on March thirtieth, where was this footage for four days? Mm-hmm. Uh, they also <laughs> add that uh, after our troops left. Four days prior, 
the armed forces of Ukraine shell the city and that this may have led to civilian casualties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's uh, yeah, that's absolutely true, obviously. And, and let me see, there's a, there's a picture I have here. Yeah, Buka, put up the Buka J- JPEG. Um, it's just taken from the same, the same screen. Uh, you see there, obviously, um, evidence of shell damage, that the, that the area was hit by, by shells uh, of some description. Uh, the, some of these bodies in the video and stuff could well have been placed there, but maybe not. The bottom line is, this was a, a town that was occupied up until 30, 30th, 30th of March by the Russians. Um, the Ukrainians were shelling it from the Kiev side of the town for the entire period of time, uh, pretty much indiscriminately. Um, that has been happening over and over again in Ukraine, uh, in different cities by the Ukrainian forces. They've been shelling. When, when the Russian forces get in, they come into a, a town, they get, they get shelled with artillery or, and different, different things um, by the Ukrainian forces kind of indiscriminately. So civilian casualties are going to happen. That doesn't mean that the Russians also, in engaging, if they're engaging with, with Ukrainian forces, that civilians won't die. But the claim that this was like the Russians went along before they left, they shot all these people just because, just because, for fun, whatever, is obvious disinformation and propaganda and it's been planned in advance. Um, there's other pictures. Do I have other pictures? No, I think that's the only one. But there's there another one to show, like, I mean, there's a guy on a bicycle, basically. There's and a couple of people. They, as if they were mid-cycle. Well, well, the guy, the one with, the, with, with one of the guys on the bicycle, he's lying with his bicycle, and beside him is a collapsed concrete uh, light post. What knocked down the light post? The same bullet that shot him? I mean, it's ridiculous. On the face of it, you see a body lying beside a, a crater or, or, a, or shell damage to the ground, and you see, like you see there, you see debris and, and bits of the road spread around, and you see a, a concrete light post falling over beside him, and you say, yeah, he was shot. Like, who's... Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's idiotic, a conclusion, and it's obviously a propaganda ploy, and, and the whole narrative was established well in advance. They had time to come up with it because, like you said, the, the, the Russians left four or five days ago, and, and they, they, they set this up. And But to be clear here... Those people are dead. They are civilians. Yeah. God rest their souls. But what we're saying is they weren't killed by the Russians. Dot, dot, dot. They almost certainly were killed by the Ukrainian side. Most likely. That's what's been happening. Who then moved the bodies into that position probably. I know this is macabre and like it's definitely speculative. Obviously, this is speculative. But they may there have. is a track record of this happening. Yeah. And they may or may not. This have. happened in Syria. They may. or Yeah, exactly. This happened in eastern Ukraine. Yeah. They may or may not have moved bodies into position. They may have just been left there. They may have been they killed may, early on and not moved. Right. To or within day. the past few days, like, yeah. like the, uh, the Russian foreign ministry said, that they after the Russians after. left, they're, they're shelling the Russians as they, as they leave. However, that would still leave, well, how did those hands get bound? Someone had to come along and do that. Someone comes along in the past four, three or four days and mm-hmm. sets that aspect up because obviously, yeah, you're binding someone's hands. Um, it makes it, it adds that little extra bit of uh, evidence, quote-unquote evidence, to, to your narrative. If you just throw up the Ukraine news, and this is obviously an unimpeachable source, it's like, well, it's certainly not a biased source in terms of 
uh, it's not a Russian source, um, Russian occupiers will try to carry out fake evacuation of citizens from Bukha to Belarus. City Council says this is from the 26th of March, so that's four, five, you know, seven, eight days ago. <clears throat> um, that's interesting. That's before the agreement with Ukraine to, that that they would withdraw from Kiev. Right, they because have, they of have wind I, of this already. At every at every ta- every opportunity where Russia, ha- the Russian forces have entered and and held cities that were then, you know, uh, counterattacked or, or were being they were de- they were once they'd taken a city or taken a town, and the Ukrainian forces on the outside beyond it had pushed them out, and the Ukrainian forces were shelling it. The first thing the Russians have tried to do on every occasion is to set up a, a corridor in order to evacuate the civilians because they want to minimize civilian casualties. Uh, but, of course, the, the Ukrainians, the Ukrainian government, the Ukrainian military do not want that to happen. They want to keep the civilians there in order to generate this kind of a situation where civilians die and they can blame Russia. And this is an example of the propaganda put out by uh, the city council of Bukha, who probably left... Uh, or, or even if they're still there, they're telling the, the, the citizens of Bucha to, or Bucha to, to not leave, that it's fake and it's dangerous. It's a very short little article. It says the occupiers will try to carry out a fake evacuation from Bucha to Belarus today. So the big problem there is you're not taking Ukrainian civilians, you're not allowing them to leave to go right. to Belarus. They can go to Kiev maybe, they can go towards the Ukrainian forces, but they're not allowed to leave the country, so they warn the civilians of of Bucha over the past few weeks that they should not leave because don't take the don't believe the Russians, don't go with the Russian humanitarian corridor, stay there because it's not dangerous because what they'll kill you. Why mm. would it's ridiculous? So, yeah. um, the city council urges the population of the city not to go anywhere with them as it is dangerous. Um, so this is an example of also what happens is that what has happened in other places in Donbass and in different areas around Ukraine is that when the the, the Russians set up a, a humanitarian uh, civilian evacuation corridor, the Ukrainian forces shell it because they know that the Russian forces are there organizing the, the, the evacuation of civilians. So they, well, if you kill some civilians, who cares? As long as you kill well, some Well, you Russian also troops. don't want them to leave. And you, you want well, them that's the to first leave thing. this. That's what it the first thing is propaganda. that you don't want them to leave. Yeah. The second thing is, if you can stop them from leaving, you stop them from leaving by spreading that propaganda, and they don't leave. If they do leave, if they get convinced by the Russian forces that, yes, listen, you've got to get out of here because there's going to be a lot of conflict going on, there is a lot of conflict going on, it's not a good place for you to be, leave, uh, the Ukrainian forces get word of that, and they shell at the time when the, eva- the, yeah. the, the, the corridor is opened up. To that try and, kill. and that has happened multiple times across the board. So, so you tell me then... Who is most likely to have killed those civilians on the streets of Bucha, given that context? Yeah. And you tell me if it's plausible that before the Russians left, having, having tried multiple times to, to uh, get civilians out of the place, they decided to shoot a bunch of civilians just for, for the lols, because they're evil Russians. It's, it's utter bullshit. Yeah. There's a comment um, in the comment section there, Scotty, a few back, something about um, somebody saw a higher definition version of that video and it, it is a hand is that what they're claiming it was about five minutes ago if you don't see it it's alright yeah I don't think it is I think that's people just just put up and here's another one Euromaidan Press Twitter.com this is the one I was talking about it's, it's again it's the same kind of street uh, the 
Twitter link, Euromaid and Press. Uh, it's one when we talked about the the the, the civilians who had been killed on on the bicycles. Go ahead. There's well, it's on the it's on the on the on the frame. <clears throat> There's a a, a a guy beside a bicycle. He was shot. Look at that scene. And the cause of his death, first time, you know, forensic expert, even just a detective, investigator, whoever, comes along and says, I wonder how he died. Definitely, bullet to the head by a Russian. And yeah. fell off his bike as he was navigating those concrete bollards there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, the concrete... They, uh, may have just the concrete bolt, they may have just added a bike to the scene. The concrete light, light post fell on him. Um, so, yeah. But you see, you see the the debris scattered all around. It's clear, clear evidence of shelling of that area, uh, and and further down the street, you can see the the same kind of debris. And uh, that that's not that's not the result of Russians going around summarily executing individual civilians. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous to suggest that it is. But anyway, like we said, it's propaganda. It's part of the propaganda, um, and. So um, that's the sit rep, I suppose. It's indeed well, what the Russians say. It's phase two. Part now. of it, yeah. Focus on but, Donbass next. Yeah, but part of part of it as well is if you look at um, to sort of to their credit, I think it's the New York Times. Uh, part of the narrative around this is evil Russians, um, you know, war crimes, killing civilians, and they're calling it. Uh, in a lot of places on Twitter, a lot of reporting on it is it's a new Srebrenica, mm. which is the you know the the kind of war crimes, the, the massacre of civilians in Yugoslavia during the the war in Yugoslavia that NATO got involved in and bombed people and killed lots of civilians and used cluster munitions under various towns in 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 Yugoslavia. But of course, we forget about that now because we're all we're all about. Uh, the West is unimpeachable, and it's all about evil Russia, um, who doesn't use cluster munitions, obviously, but NATO's allowed to, and it's all fine. And I would just throw up, yeah, um, to their credit, to some extent, I think it's the New York Times, Srebrenica 1, or Srebrenica, the JPEG. Um, so they're talking about this situation in in Bucha. In the footage, three bodies in civilian clothing are seen clustered on the side of the road in a suburb of Bucha. A white cloth binds the hands of one body behind its back, blah, blah, blah. Local civilians are being executed arbitrarily, some with hands beh- tied behind their backs. The ministry, that's the ministry, uh, Ukrainian ministry, wrote in a tweet accompanying the video. The statement added that the scenes were a new Srebrenica. Now, so the Ukrainian military is trying. Now, why would they be trying to call it a new Srebrenica? <laughs> well, I just give the answer. Well, they called in <coughs> NATO airstrikes exactly. on, Ser- on Belgrade. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So the setup there is very, very clear. They've shown their hand. They've shown the narrative and the, and the thinking behind it. Right. They're, they're desperately trying to get NATO right. to come in because, like, like NATO, last time there was a massacre of civilians. Let's see, how, NATO won't won't come in and bomb Ukraine. You know, won't bomb Russian forces in Ukraine. They don't want to do that. When was the last time that NATO bombed a country in order to solve a conflict? Supposedly solve a conflict. Well, it was Yugoslavia. Uh, and they did it as a result of the so-called, <clears throat> at the time, the alleged Srebrenica massacre in the Bosnian War in 1985. Yeah. Um, so, well, let's recreate that. Let's can we can we get something like that going in Ukraine? You know, 
Um, <clears throat> but like I said, to their credit, Russian officials did not immediately respond to the allegations. The New York Times were unable to independently verify the assert assertions by Ukraine's defense ministry and other officials. And just to follow on the next JPEG, the same name. Other images circling on social media purported to show other groups of dead civilians in Busha, including at least one whose arms were visibly bound. The Times was not able to independently verify the photo. So that's the most you'll get out of the Washington, or the New York, sorry, it's the New York Times. The most you'll get out of the New York Times in terms of, uh, well, maybe we shouldn't be so quick to assume that everything we're seeing here is actually true. Yeah. <clears throat> the other, I mean, the other uh, parallel with Srebrenica is that while there was a massacre, um, it wasn't at all clear that it was, you know, chain of command from Belgrade Serbians to Serbians living in what later became Bosnia to do that against Bosnian Muslims. I don't know. I can't remember the, the alternative revisionist version of that story, but um, it's something to do with it's something to do with a trap with a collaboration on the part of Bosnian Muslim fighters to create to gender up to bait a situation yeah. that will create the massacre and generate the headlines and therefore the, the cause for yeah. quote unquote just war. So. Most people are entirely unequipped to, to understand or to wade through the amount of bullshit and lies that, that are part and partial of this kind of a conflict and and they don't understand the extent to which the West dominates that narrative and, and has the power and control to influence their thinking and their perception of it, you know. Uh, although, you know, they're not doing that well, you know, uh, relatively speaking. A lot of people, of course, the usual suspects are all buying into the bang into the bullshit but there are there's a sizable amount of people who are smelling a rat basically and are not taking the bait and have understood mm. that that there is a significant a significant kind of neo-nazi right-wing uh problem in ukraine and uh, that to that extent at least russia's uh rationale or justification that they've given for launching the special military operation is uh has some validity to it, you know. Um, so, yeah. So last week, big excitement over this decree from Moscow that as of April 1st, which is two days ago, all hostile countries, namely countries that signed up to the anti-Russia sanctions last month, would henceforth have to pay for Russian gas in rubles, mm -hmm. gas for rubles by April first, mm. and they all said Which no, never. And asked for clarification, Peskov and others said it's simple, gas for rubles. No, no, no. Was payment, it an April no Fool's gas. joke? Because April first has come and gone. The gas is still flowing. That's because they've paid Effective, in rubles. Effectively in rubles, yeah. Or effectively in rubles. Talk, well, talk me through what happened. What is going on? What? Well, they. It's not that Russia. Wasn't didn't say that didn't claim that they're going to shut off the pipelines, shut off the flow on the April first. You know, there's a kind of grace period. But they said from first of April, if you want to, probably you know, there's wiggle room. Re renew your contracts or 
add a new contract or purchase and uh, more supply. You know, it's obviously depends well, on the I situation. Th- the Germans were worried about the current contracts because they said that's a breach of the contract. Yeah. Olaf Scholz yeah. made a call. Yeah, there's long-term contracts, but there's like, you know, there's, there's kind of like, I suppose there's there's increase in, in, in purchases where you say, uh, we need more, we need less, that kind of thing, you know. Okay. So, um, but the bottom line is, yeah, they weren't going to shut it off on that day. They simply said, like you said, you have to pay in rubles. Now, what does pay in rubles mean? The Ger- I think it was the German foreign minister claimed that as a victory that when and it was in they were was in the press that Putin had backed down yeah. and that they were still paying. They were going to continue to pay for their gas in rubles, or sorry, in, in euros. euros. Uh, so the way basically it happens has been happening in terms of payment for Russian gas is Russian gas. The Russian gas company Gazprom has has had accounts for a long time in the specific countries that are purchasing gas from Gazprom. So Germany buys gas from Gazprom. Uh, Gazprom has an account in a German bank. The German government pays uh, for that gas into Gazprom's account in in Germany, in euros, and Gazprom uses that to do whatever it wants with that money. The same in France, the same in any other country that supplies gas to, uh, Russia supplies gas to. Um, The problem with sanctions is that all of uh, Russian assets outside the country in unfriendly countries like all of Europe basically uh, were frozen which means that all payments ongoing you know future payments for Russian gas if they continue to be paid for in the normal way into European bank accounts owned by Gazprom would be frozen i.e. yeah we paid you but you just can't get the money you're not allowed to use it and Russia's like well, uh, that means you get the gas for free. That's not very reasonable. We're not a charity. Pest so he said, stuff. "Well, if that's what you're going to do, if you're going to force us, if you're going to deny us access to the payment for the stuff we're selling you, uh, then you'd have to pay us in a different way." And obviously, given the sanction situation and the freezing of Russian assets abroad, you'll have to open an account in Russia, and you can pay in euros into uh, the new account that you opened in. In, in Russia, and Gazprom actually has, there's a, it's called Gazprom Bank, uh, as a subsidiary of Gazprom, the, the, the gas supplier, it has a, a banking subsidiary, and so the deal is that you pay for euros into a bank, Gazprom Bank, in Russia, and you pay in euros, but then you pay the extra fee for it to be uh, exchanged or transferred uh, converted into rubles and then those rubles are used to pay Gazprom the, the gas company so that's the payment in rubles so it is a payment in rubles and the the the, the value of that obviously for, for Russia is that it <clears throat> it supports the Russian currency because it um, it, it allows the, the Russian central bank to continue to, to or to produce more or to print more rubles uh, because the rubles are being generated by this exchange from euros into and or from from euros mm-hmm. into, into rubles, so that you print more. But also with the deals that Russia has been striking with Eastern friendly countries, China, India, and even and Southern South Africa, and even then you go back west down to uh, notably Brazil and, and South America, but other South American countries, it's in the process and has struck deals with them. New trade deals basically were um, they would buy and sell. In each other's currencies. In each other's currencies, like you know, fifty-fifty or whatever, whatever the the, the the agreement is, which means that there's a greater demand for rubles because, because previously those those deals were probably most most of them were probably done in, 
um, in dollars. Most of the major major deals were done in dollars, especially for oil and oil and gas, uh, but also other commodities uh, that Russia produces. So Russia, this is part of the big switch away from the dollar that people are talking to. The beginning people have been talking about the beginning of a switch away from the dollar, where now gas, some gas, some oil, and other commodities uh, sold by these countries, the BRICS countries, for example, will be traded in something other than than dollars, uh, which is not good for the dollar. Because it means there's well, there's a lot of dollars in free floating out there that will a certain amount of them now will be replaced or not needed uh, um, because there'll be there'll be an exchange in, in in the currencies of these of BRICS countries. Um, so, for example, India strikes a trade deal with a new trade deal with Russia, and they have a, an agreement that a certain amount of that trade will be conducted in rubles. And that's new rubles that are needed, which means that when India wants to pay for Russian grain, for example, it's now going to be paid for in rubles, which means the Russian Central Bank has to print more rubles. And it's it's valid printing of rubles, let's say. It's not, uh, it's not what do you call it? Um, it's not um, QE, quantitative easing. Right. Because <coughs> the, the, it doesn't. The, current, the, the, the money supply you're increasing matches to the commodity supply right. you've just exchange, traded mm-hmm. with another country. Mm-hmm. Um, and therein lies the potential for not just the survivability of the Russian ruble, but its its actual increase in value relative to other currencies. Do you think, I mean, this is not new. There have been other exchange deals made, even outright bartering in some cases between Russia and China and others. Um but the, the main issue is that they agreed to trade in each other's currencies. Mm-hmm. Did, I mean, do you think this is like an, a significant change? Because it's been ongoing more or less for the last eight years mm-hmm. between the BRICS countries. Mm-hmm. Um, the Western commentary still laughs at it. It's like, it's never, yeah, yeah. whatever. Yeah, dream on mm-hmm. as if it's going to change anything. But sometimes some of them do go, this is serious because – it's not so much that it, this will change overnight, but in a fairly quick period of time, mm-hmm. the next decade, mm-hmm. the dollar will plummet in value because mm-hmm. what's kept it going is that it's the petrodollar, namely that it is informally – the US currency is backed by the entire world supply in aggregate, mm-hmm. not literally everything, but in aggregate, most of the world supply of oil mm-hmm. and gas, I presume. Mm-hmm. Hence the name, the petrodollar. So, I mean, has a percentage of that been shaved off? We don't know. Maybe only government economists have access to these figures. But uh, the only thing we have to go on is sentiment, right? Mm -hmm. It looks like BRICS, especially Russia and China, are confident Mm -hmm. that this spells doom Mm -hmm. for the American currency. Russia, like Putin this week, I mean, he's not one to like, Buff, gotcha. um, bluff or to boast. But he said, what exactly did he say? I'm going to find it because it's like, Jesus, that's full on. He said something like, this is the end for the dollar and the euro. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the end as their, the end for the dollar as the preeminent uh, currency, the, the world's reserve currency, basically the one that every, everyone relies on, you know? Like yeah. no matter where you go in the world, as long as you've got some dollars in your pocket has been the, the thing for many years, you know? <coughs> you can always... Uh, 
pay for something in dollars. In his second most recent TV address, he said the credibility of the dollar and the euro is destroyed. Hmm. Maybe he's just speaking of the credibility as far as Russia is concerned. Well, there's been comment on, on the cre- that credibility aspect where by imposing these sanctions, they have undermined the credibility of the dollar and the euro uh, in the sense of they've undermined the credibility or the trustworthiness of the governments, European and particularly American governments, that issue those that currency. You yeah. undermine trust and confidence <clears throat> in them and then you, you eventually you're going to undermine uh, trust in everything about them and first and foremost their, their currency and people are going to just move away. I mean it's it's a multifaceted thing. It's like when trust and confidence in a government uh, is eroded in that way and the way it's been eroded is that what people have seen, at least this is the narrative, is that people have seen that the West, i.e. America, uh, primarily, and its partners in Europe, particularly the UK, can, on a moment's notice, decide that you are country non grata and we're going to freeze all of your international uh, reserves, all of the money that you have and the, uh, the assets and resources you have in our countries and anywhere else we can get access to around the world. We'll freeze them. We'll deny them. We'll cut you off from uh, your own money. Now they're talking about giving, them, giving it a value of it to Ukraine. Right. <clears throat> for weapons, for the yeah. war, and then for rebuilding yeah. the country. So, they, other countries see that that can happen, and it's very—it's not—it's not a real trust-building move, basically, because they've seen that they could ascribe that to the Biden administration and see that. Th- so, this is in America, basically. If there's every four years, there's a new administration. So, every four years, we don't know if there's going to be some administration that comes in, like say a country like India. Or, or China or any other major country around the world looks at it and says, well, what if someone comes in in the next, you know, in two years' time that doesn't like my country, doesn't like me, for some reason takes an exception to me? Are they just going to cut off my, our reserves? They're going to try and sanction us up the wazoo and try and destroy our country economically? That doesn't sound like the kind of country that I want to do business with, you know, and that's what the Russians are pointing and highlighting, pointing out and highlighting is that that's the effect this is happening. They've undermined, through, the, through their own actions, they've undermined trust and confidence of the rest of the world, at least the ones that aren't already in their pocket, in them as a reliable partner, someone who won't just turn on them at a moment's notice if they don't play ball. But surely the rest of the world has already known this for some time. Well, but the, what, what's change, changing, let's say, the process is that before they knew, everyone knew that, but they also knew that the U.S. military backed up the petrodollar. Right. And so that if you were to look like you were going to try and do something with your own currency or with gold mm. um, with other countries, you could be targeted. Yeah. Uh, that brings up uh, that thing with Imran Khan this week. Yeah. Well, Prime just before you get on him, it's not, only, it's not only that they've done that, it's the reason they've done it. So Russia has a problem. And, and like I said, behind the scenes, most countries around the world know that Russia's uh, Russia was pushed into a situation where they had no other option but to do what they're doing in Ukraine and pushed by America. So India, for example, looks at, say, like Kashmir or any potential conflict it, it might have and sees that, well, look what, look what they've done to Russia economically and with these sanctions because Russia moved to deal with a border problem militarily. Yeah. 
So the Indians go, well, what we if have we several wanted, border issues. What if we wanted to move to do – what if we f- were put in a position where we felt we had to do something? Is America going to sanction us as well? Yeah, if it, if it does not approve. Yeah, and, and the leverage they have over us is the dominance of the dollar as a reserve currency and the petrodollar. So there's a lot of motivation there for those countries who are, whose leaders are smart-thinking people to say, listen, maybe we should – I don't want to be get, caught in that situation. We should get on board this train to progressively – move away from the dollar as, as, as the, the be-all and end-all of, in, in, in the world's currency and the influence and control it gives America over the rest of the world. Maybe we should join Russia for, in this bold move, along with China, for moving in this direction, not all at once, not collapse the dollar all at once, but to progressively and slowly chip away at the US dollar as, as the, the preeminent currency and to start replace it progressively by doing more trade deals in our own currencies and, and, and boost those currencies and, and they probably none of them want to collapse anything or collapse the global <coughs> economy or create that kind of a crisis because they all hold a lot of dollars and it's not easy to unseat the dollar mm-hmm. but it seems that this is a pivotal moment where the beginning people it's a pivotal moment but it's the pivot is a slow process yeah but it's a slow process but the like I spoke of earlier the certainty of Putin in particular about where this is going um, is, is something else. I mean, the, his, his statements in one of his speeches recently, his message to Russian oligarchs abroad or Russian oligarchs with, with their assets abroad, whatever, um, telling them like, you know, pretty much telling them you have to get on board with this. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to lose everything yeah. for one thing. Um, but also the future is here. Yeah. It's in Eurasia. It's in the East. Right, absolutely. Um, that's, and that's the plan, and he's and thought I, about it for I a long I don't think time. it's whimsical on his part. It's not ideological. It's not like, okay, I'm taking a flag, and I hope everyone rallies around. No. He, he seems that he's announcing a fact yeah, he's that's laid, independent of what he wants. Right. He's, laid the, he's laid the groundwork. Uh, Russia has laid, laid the groundwork uh, over a long period of time for doing this. They haven't taken this this decision rashly that, you know, or, or yeah. in, in, in a... In a in a kind of a impulsive way, it's been very carefully thought out and planned, and they know where they want to go. And I mean, and China obviously is on board, and it's funny to see the U.S. kind of threaten China and, yeah. and say, "You better get on board with us," or whatever. Put up that uh, it's just a photo JPEG. Photo is the is the, the file name, but it's this is from uh, the Chinese. Um, this is from the Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesman. I saw that. And, I mean, does that leave... Should, uh, should She's the, a meme star. Should the, but should the US be in any doubt, like, about where China sits, like, on, in this whole equation? Uh, when when, when the, the foreign ministry spokesman, obviously vetted by the higher-ups and stuff, he's not doing that as... he On his Twitter account, doesn't say tweets my own personal opinion. Not, you know what I mean? Yeah, you yeah, don't yeah. get to do that, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is, like... Chinese Whatever government policy, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, can I? I want to backtrack on something. There's a detail, but it might speak to something bigger. When they announced these sanctions, to great freaking fanfare. In fact, like we've said before on the show, they announced them bloody well last December, not you know on the eve of the war or mm-hmm. after it started. So. They had an idea where this was going, and they were like, right, now's the time. Mm-hmm. Strangle the Russian economy. They used all kinds of rhetoric. They announced that, that was their intention. We're going to mm-hmm. um, 
we're going to strangle Russia. Okay. The thing is, Gazprom Bank was specifically left out of the list of banks mm -hmm. that could no longer, Russian banks that could no longer do business with the West. Mm -hmm. Lo and behold, it's the one loophole available for the Europeans to continue trading to get their gas. You think they didn't know that? Lo and exactly. Behold? Well, this is what I'm thinking. That well, people, that's what I'm trying it's to say. A I but it's I a shock to enough. the rhetoric of the narrative, which is we're all in to strangle the crap out of Russia. But no, the Western powers agreed beforehand, we're going to keep this avenue open so that the gas flows on April 2nd right. or whenever the deadline day is. Right. So all the rhetoric about... We're so it's all bullshit? What? Yes, absolutely. I Even mean, the sanction stuff is bullshit. Yes, Absolutely. I mean, it... it <laughs> I saw another report this week. They've, got, they've undone a whole package of the sanctions that were placed on Russian agricultural products. They just removed them after three and a half weeks. Yep. They're gone. Yep. Why? Because people need to eat, right? Germans need to eat, right? German population needs to eat food, right? Right. And they knew this ahead of time, but they made a show of doing anti-Russian sanctions to strangle the shit out of Russia, but they right. knew they actually couldn't. It's but now all they've left with, the only tangible thing they have is a billion Westerners in their minds who believe we are strangling the shit out of the Russian economy, but we're actually not. Right. It's just such a shit show. Like, what's the point of that then? Is that it? That's the point. A lot of, it, I don't it, know. Job justification is, is one. Well, Strong man in a crisis. Control. What did I say? I've, I said this a few times that the first, the, the primary focus, despite all this international kind of like grandstanding and G7 and G20, the primary focus of any administration, of any government and anybody else behind the government uh, is first, like, or any president or any bunch of politicians, their resource base is their local population. They can do hands across the hands across the the sea and hands across the borders, and we're all one together. And NATO's united, and NATO's aligned, and all that kind of stuff. That's all just talk. When it comes down to it, Emmanuel Macron's power base, power so, so power source, and where he gets all his jollies from, where he gets his position and everything else he gets from, comes from the French population, from the French people. The same is true of the German. Uh, uh, Chancellor of the British Prime Minister, of the Spanish Prime Minister, and every other head of state around the world is their primary focus is the population, is the people in the country. And the they British can't government, forsake that. The British government did not exclude Gazprom Bank. No. They did sanction Gazprom right, Bank. Because they, the they don't care. Because they don't need Russian gas. Right. Right. So It's so and, cynical. And those are NATO countries, right? But NATO's all, NATO's united, right? No, yeah. NATO's absolutely united on, the, on this situation because it's just ideological and we're all anti-Russian and we, we all care about the Ukrainian people. Despite the fact that we actually created the situation, especially the US, created the situation where Ukrainian civilians are dying because we pushed Russia, put them in a bind, put them in a situation where literally they you know, were right in seeing and thinking that the existence, as Putin has said, the existence of Russia was directly under threat by what the U.S. had been planning, had been doing and planning to do in Ukraine. They were using Ukraine, they were planning to use Ukraine as a bridgehead to attack Russia. And ultimately, part of their plan, very clearly, definitely part of their plan, was regime change in, in Russia and the neutering of Russia and the reducing of Russia to a subservient vassal state. That was absolutely the plan and they were going for it and they were putting everything they possibly could in place to make that happen.
Yeah, the, the US it protested signaled. a lot last week. Oh, no, 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 the goal isn't regime change. After Biden yeah. actually said, right. you know, yeah. will somebody please rid me of this, you yeah. know, turbulent priest kind of speech in yeah. Poland. Yeah. And regime change in the form of, in a, in a certain situation, regime change in the form of up to 600 or some part of the available 600,000 Ukrainian military personnel marching across the border into Russia while the US launches a color revolution within Russia with NGOs and grassroots uh, democracy, you know, uh, civil mm. society, democracy-seeking uh, movements within, within Russia at the same time. So oh. the only thing that isn't bullshit then is that Russia has nixed that plan yeah. to use Ukraine as a right. bridgehead into Russia. There have been attacked on all, not just that. That was part of, obviously, part of the plan. They had many factors to the, many aspects uh, to, to the plan. One, like we, I talked about it last last week, were the the two naval bases that were at yes, that, that was are in the really process eye-opening. on yeah. the process of being built either side of Crimea yeah. by British British government uh, government Department of Defence, along with the Americans, building two naval bases for uh, Ukraine, either side of uh, Crimea, uh, supplied initially. They're not even going to wait until they can build a ship. They give them decommissioned yeah. British naval vessels. And that was to control the Black Sea and to prevent Russia's, a significant part of, 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 of Russia's economy is grain and wheat. It's the number one grain exporter in the world. And it exports most of that straight through the Black Sea on ships to Egypt, other Maghreb countries and Middle Eastern countries. Yeah. And so there were, the plan was to strangle Russia in multiple different ways and to attack Russia in multiple different ways in order to destroy it. And it was very clear yeah. that they were pushing forward in very real ways with very tangible means to achieve that end. And Russia, there's a certain point where you see someone coming at you and when they get within a certain distance from you, you realize that this isn't just posturing anymore. This person means to kill you. And what do you do? Yeah. And as Putin said in an interview once, that uh, when asked about how he decides or something, he says, well, if you know, when you know he is about to hit you, make sure you punch him first. I think he was talking about, you know, how to handle bullies in, in the, uh, the, on the streets of St. Petersburg when he was growing up, you know, smack him first. So that makes sense. The, the very, that's very much not symbolic gesture. The actual, the military aid, to Ukraine, the buildup of NATO forces all over Eastern Europe. And Russia made that clear. This really is not uh, cool. Um, but on the economics, it is far more symbolic and gesture-based and propaganda than reality. Because, yeah, they yeah. were never going to just force a situation where the gas is just no longer flowing to Europe. Because that means like tomorrow, this week, this 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 year, Germany's, hunger in Ger Germany. Germany, well, not just hunger. Industry shuts yeah. down. Germany's jobs, industry shop, shuts down, yeah. And, and to, to a certain extent, French industry and most other... And agriculture. Farming Slovakia. depends on gas. Forget about Slovakia. 100% reliant on Russian gas. Bye-bye. Yeah. Switch the lights off. Switch off your country. You know? The, the Slovakia actually, that reminds me, they may issue a statement. We'll pay in rubles if we have to. <laughs> there was, they didn't even pretend to do it. We will never pay in rubles yeah. like, you know, the G7 and Brussels did last right. week. They were just like, oh, we're paying. <laughs> yeah. We have to. The extent of their honesty, the extent of any European country's honesty about the situation is re directly related, related to, to the dependence. How much they depend on And theirs gas. is 100%. Right. 
But, you know, who's very happy with this whole situation is American uh, gas producers, producers and American oil producers. They're like rubbing their hands because that increase in, in the price of gas and oil, what does that translate to? It tr- translates to massive and a significant incre- increase in profits for those companies. It's all good, like. So you wonder why they, the sanctions, I mean, the sanctions, you said, you're saying the sanctions aren't really happening. There isn't really any significant sanctions. I mean, they are significant in a certain sense. Uh, for Russia, they do cur- curtail Russia to a certain extent. Obviously not their primary exports of gas and, uh, and oil, but in other ways and, and, and um, freezing their, their reserves abroad, you know, causes problems, whatever. But it's not, no, it's, it's not a death blow by any means, right? And the Russians knew that and the, and the Westerners knew that. But by doing that, by creating this kind of chaos and this fear in the market, what, does, what it does is, is the market gets jittery, the market gets scared, the market as a person, you know, the market, if you didn't know, is an actual person, you can go and meet him someday, and he's quite neurotic, he, <laughs> he gets jittery when things happen, he, he gets a feel for the situation, and when he gets jittery, prices go up. Yeah. And companies who are the spokespeople for the market, uh, particularly, you know, in, in, in certain areas of, 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 of business, uh, they're very happy when the market gets neurotic, because it means that they can sell their products for a significantly increased price, so which what? directly impacts consumers, impoverishes consumers, and directly impacts the poorest people in the country who have to pay, you know, significantly more in terms of energy their income bills, yeah. for energy bills and, and food and food costs. You know? So what you're saying is we're all paying not for Putin's war, but we're all going to pay for America's muscling in on the European energy market. Mm-hmm. Yep, America's robbing you, not Russia. American companies and British companies and French companies are robbing their own people and blaming Putin for it. Uh, to the point that they're now telling people, yeah. as they freeze next winter, remember, well, uh, put, take that Putin. Take that Putin. When you, when you turn your shower off, when you have your cold shower and you only do it for five minutes instead of ten minutes, which is probably good, you know. No, when you have a warm shower but you have to cut it down to two or three minutes, when you switch it off, even though there's still soap in your eyes, don't forget to say, take that Putin. That's how mind-numbingly retarded and ignorant and stupid and childish the whole thing is. That's what they're telling people, and people are actually bang it. Like, put a pie.jpg, Scotty. This is a poll as an example, but it's pretty indicative of probably a lot. Not everywhere in Europe, but probably a, a certain demographic in most countries in Europe, depending on the country, depending on their perspicacity, perspicacity of the population and their ability to see through bullshit. But this is a questionnaire in Ireland. Are you prepared by the Irish Independent? It was in the Irish Independent anyway. Are you prepared to accept a higher cost of living as a result of the action being taken to support Ukraine against the Russian invasion? Don't know 9%, no 36%, yes 55%. They're saying that now. Look, look at the name of the, the polling group. Ireland thinks. Yeah. Ireland hasn't thought since 1989 when yeah. the country just started going to shit. And of course, um, you know that's the kind of thing that, that's happening around Europe, right? That, that sentiment. What percentage of the population has taken that up? Well, do, do you remember the Is other, it 55% everywhere? I don't know. Uh, what, what was the other um, polling result you sent me today? Was that Irish Independent as well? That's this one, yeah. Oh, that's this one. But wasn't there another figure where 65% said, forget Ukraine, our overwhelming concern right now is rising prices? Right. Yeah. Well, it's an example of, you know, there's lies. Damn, Cognitive dissonance. Lies, damn lies and polls, right? Right. But this is what they're trying to 
input into people's brains. This sort of trying this to. This is it, where they want it's people. Fe- to it's end feedback, up right? Yeah. You tell people. That's what polls do. Po- polls tell people. Polls that are mostly made up tell people what other people are. Try to make people in a country think that this is what most of the people around you are thinking. So you should think that way too. Yeah. Even though social proof, it's not true. Even False though most people, social proofs. yeah. Even though most people don't think that way, you're told, and then you start to think that way. Are you going? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, we should support Ukraine, and I can start. Or, or, at, or at least it numbs your thinking. Well, it seems like everyone else. My real thoughts. I better keep yeah. quiet. Keep my yeah. head down. It's like clapping for the NHS, and <clears throat> you know, and, stay home and, to save lives. I'm telling you, the support for Russia is a lot bigger than it seems. Um, here's a video. I saw this today. I think it took place today. Sunday in uh, Berlin. Mm. Let's send it across to Scotty here. This is a protest in Berlin today. Um, it's a massive convoy of cars all waving, displaying Russian flags. Somewhere in Berlin. Honking horns. Honk, honk, honk while it's still legal, people. Flying the Russian flag. Flying Russian flags, USSR flags, Russian Air Force flags. That may partly be due to the fact that the Russian, I think, foreign ministry, or the, whatever, the Russian, not the Russian, the German government, told Germans that they could be prosecuted for showing any support for Russia, including using the Z symbol. Right. So, of course, he was trolled on Twitter. It was, it was announced on Twitter. I mean, it was also announced on Twitter by the, the, the German government. And a lot of responses just like big Z, 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 Z. Z. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now come and arrest me, you know, because yeah. I, I typed Z. I used the Z on my keyboard. Should we call him now the hero Elensky? Not like him, so, yeah. so anyway, yeah. Oh, well, the, another one that was... Uh, Responded to uh, just the comic strip of Garfield. Mm. Snoopy you know, in. With one Z where he's sleeping. You know? Snoopy, yeah. <laughs> um, just an example of the propaganda that's, that's shoved down people, the crass, mind numbing propaganda that's shoved down people's throats. This is, um, if, you want it, if you want the best of it, yeah, you've got to go to CNN. Put up the CNN um, article there, Scotty. Um, <laughs> So apparently CNN has announced that, that there are people cold-calling Russians to chip away at Russia's digital iron curtain. So people in Europe, supposedly, obviously you're not going to get Americans to do this, but Europe, you know, especially Baltic countries and countries close to Russia, mm. uh, are, have a lot of feels about this situation. So the, and they believe, some of them anyway, apparently, that the Russian people don't know what's going on in Ukraine. Right? Mm-hmm. So they're going to inform them. And Apart from that, the farcical nature of that, the article on it and, and the, 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 you know, the evidence for this happening from CNN is even more farcical because it's about one woman, Marija Stonice, picks up her phone and actually dials a number after a couple of rings a woman picks up. I'm calling to tell you a very important message. I don't know if you know a lot about what is actually happening right now in Ukraine. She says, her voice trembling as her one-year-old daughter babbles in the background. There's silence on the other end of the line. The real truth 
is that it's a terrible situation. The funny thing is that there's an audio. Go back to the beginning of the audio. It's, ah, oh, I just lose my fucking dinner at this stuff. Hello, uh, do you speak English? Hello, yes, of course. Oh, Pause. <laughs> so that's her calling. So cold calling, a number supposedly according yeah. to CNN. Pick someone in Russia, some woman. Hello, do you speak English? Yes, of course. <laughs> of course, I am Russian, and this is a random call from someone in Lithuania, and of course I speak English. What are we talking about today? This was not in any way pre-planned, and I am not a stooge whatsoever. Of course I speak English, like all the other Russian people, automatically. I... Anyway, I just thought I'd throw it in there just an example of the horseshit that comes out of CNN, and yeah. it's just a, it's a mind job, like, you know? This is BS, but it has actually been happening from Ukrainians yeah. calling but Russians. Yeah, for, calling. for less. They're trying to call um, the families of Russian soldiers. Yeah. Um. Uh, last one on... We can just go back to the reasons. We detailed some of the reasons. There are other reasons... There's multifaceted reasons that uh, major serious reasons that Russia had to do what it's doing. The last Twitter uh, link, Scotty, um, big Russian shop, <laughs> big Russian shop. Anyway, it's just it's. Um, I don't think we need to play it necessarily, but there's a Russian Ministry of Defense, and it's in the text there. And there's another one below. U.S. viruses were tested on Ukrainians. This is about the bio labs that were discovered in Ukraine that were run by the Pentagon, uh, the U.S. Department of Defense. U.S. viruses were tested on Ukrainians and drones were developed to strike with biological weapons, according to the Ministry of Defense. In order to use biological weapons and not harm their own, the United States came up with the concept of contactless warfare. For this purpose, special drones were designed and Ukraine planned to spray bacteria and carriers of deadly diseases from Turkish drones. Meanwhile, the pathogens from the laboratories of the Ukrainian authorities were tested on their own citizens. And this is all documented, the next one down, and this has been around for, for a couple of weeks since they discovered it. There's lots of document, documentary evidence that they got from these different labs showing that this was what was being worked on in Ukraine hand-in-hand hand with the U.S. Department of Defense to develop effectively ethnic-specific, ethnic if you can call it that, bioweapons yeah. to target who? Well, to target Russians. Yeah. So is that a cause, a cause for war? Is that a cause to do something about it? Is that a red line? Would you do something if something like that was happening on your border? Yeah. And that's just one aspect. Yeah. And I think people should get out of their minds to kind of... <clears throat> Well, people, let me reframe that. People will have in their minds a kind of a movie version of it as a result of COVID-19 because COVID-19 seemed to start at one juncture in time. It's All they see is the news of the Chinese pan are panicking. They go full uh, bio-warfare mode. They discover something, panic. So it seemed to have one discrete start in time, right? But the thing with these things is they're ongoing, that Bulgarian journalist, Juliana, forget her name, mm -hmm. um, she's been reporting about these biolabs for the last decade at least. They're in Ukraine, they're in Georgia, um, other states as well. And the thing is, accidents happen and no one gives a shit mm -hmm. because 
you gradually seep things in. And then the Russians discover something and they're like, bloody hell. I was, oh. But then, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't, like you say, go, okay, by a warfare attack, we declare war on America. Right. They gather evidence and then it happens again. Yeah. And so on and so on. So the it's an patience. ongoing, and there's an ongoing seepage. The Russians, all they notice is that more and more people in this area and that area are getting more sick more frequently. Yep. It's causing uh, job losses, mm -hmm. economic downturn, and it's s slowly becoming, it's going down like this. It's not like, boom, we launch a bioweapon and now we bliss Russia. There is, there is no moment in time where that happens. These things are incremental. They grow. They seep over borders. They seep into the DNA of the population. Mm -hmm. That's the idea. So, in a sense, in a sense, you could argue it was contrived. Why did Russia choose this moment in time? They seem to choose last year. I know the war started now, but last year they began their much more hardline rhetoric. Like you know, where they demanded assurances, mm -hmm. and they never got them, and the media was telling us Russia is about to invade. Russia is about to invade. So though it came down to a moment in time, but there's a multi-year process at yeah. least. And like you said, at what point do you decide? Well, yeah. ideally, you try and decide at a time of your choosing, you know. It, but even then, I don't think it's cut yeah. and try. I think, for example, last week on the issue with gas for rubles, the way it looks like, the way it can be interpreted, depending on how you view the context, this, this conflict from the West or from the East, if, if you see Russia's side on this, you go, ah, oh, yeah, Putin's smart. He's got them back. He's going to make them... Pay for rubles and or pay in a way that they'll immediately be converted into rubles. That'll prop up the ruble and that's his counter-strike. But like we just explained, actually that was built into the sanctions. Putin had no choice but to go with that path. It wasn't a great uppercut, you know, counter-attack back at the West. Mm. It was the only path left open to maintain the gas flows into Europe. Yeah, because it's a farce because the idea that they would cut off the, the – that Europe, in particular, would cut off Russian gas and shoot themselves in the foot, and and you know wreck their economies was 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 fake. It was always fake. So it's not even that, you know, they're setting Russia up in that way. It was just never an issue. There was it was never going to happen. Russia yeah. cannot survive without without. Or sorry, Europe cannot survive without Russian gas and to a certain extent oil. Yeah. So <clears throat> they know that. So it's all it was all theater. Yeah. So that's on the trade and finance side, and then here on this issue on bio-warfare, they already know damn well pretty much what's going on in Ukraine. They go in and what it presents is the opportunity to show to the world, look, we're not just conspiracy theorists. Here's all the documentary evidence. The most, <laughs> the amazing tie-in of all of this is that the crackhead son of the current president of the United States is an instrumental midwife mm -hmm. <clears throat> in the contract's that facilitated the shit mm -hmm. in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, he was, was a bit part player. Like, it's, but. And it's, it didn't have to be – it, it's just what is. It's just the way things unfolded. But Russia gets an amazing propaganda coup um, with no effort of its own. Yeah. It just says, here's the facts. The <clears throat> West can ignore it, whatever. But Americans notice. They that, notice big time. And put that in the context of, of the term – Ordinary American. How, how often you've heard over the, over the – in recent years, Russian aggression – how often have you heard Russian aggression in the Western press and out of the mouths of, of, Russian, or of, of Western officials? Russian aggression, Russian aggression. It was exactly the opposite. The only one aggressing anyone has been the West 
and it's been aggressing Russia and China and other countries as they see fit. I mean, you talked, a little, you mentioned earlier on about uh, Imran Khan in, pa- ah. in Pakistan, uh, <coughs> who was facing a no confidence vote, and he said explicitly that uh, he's on video and on Twitter basically. He saying, gave a TV address to the nation last that week. It was basically the U.S. He said, well, I can't really mention them, so I won't say the U.S., but uh, a certain country has been, is behind this effort to unseat me through a no-confidence vote. And today they had the no-confidence vote and it was thrown out. And he's now called for new elections, yeah. which is a smart move because it, it shows, okay, let's have new elections. Let's just see what, rather than, the poli- rather than this phony no-confidence vote uh, in me generated, you know, pushed and, and uh, um, uh, instigated by, by the U.S., with politicians within Pakistan, let's find out the real confidence in me from the population. So mm-hmm. we're going to have new elections, and then I'm going to get a mandate of 80% or something. The West will call it, uh, uh, you know, a, a dodgy election, dodgy mm-hmm. vote or something, but he'll be re, re-secured, if you know what I mean, re, yeah. re, re-consolidated in his power. And the reason they did that was because they knew that he has good relations with Russia. They're trying he to was undermine... The, he was on the plane to Moscow within hours yeah. of the launch of airstrikes in Ukraine right. on February 24th. Right. It was the first one. He's like, right, whoosh, yeah. go there. And they secured a, ga- a gas for wheat or some, some yeah. deal where they would do... Because they know, these people know, they know far more than the average person, obviously, uh, the average member of the population know what's going on, who are just subjected to complete mind programming propaganda that is complete and utter horseshit. It's 180 degrees from the actual truth. These guys obviously know what's going on. They see the implications of what's happening. They, they, they read the situation and they know what they have to do to... to you know, realign themselves in the interest of, if they're decent people, in the interest of their country and the people in their country. Put up abroad there that I just sent you, Scotty, as an example of what the West, what America, not just the West, but in particular America, has had to do over the past uh, week or two weeks uh, with with all of these formerly supposed, uh, you know, allies or friends or vassal states, I don't know, of America. Biden should punish Saudi Arabia for backing Russia. That's the foreign policy, top Washington rag, uh, Politico. NATO leaders warn China. <laughs> That's what we joked about earlier. Don't act as Russia's enabler. Reuters says exclusive U.S. Exclusive US warns India, others against sharp rise in Russian oil imports. How dare you increase your oil imports of Russia, you evil, dirty Indians. And that last one... U.S. warns Pakistan of Ukraine war consequences. So imagine you didn't know anything. Imagine you didn't know anything and you see that headline. Well, you do know that. I don't know what the date. Oh, March 5th. So you know that shit's just kicked off in Ukraine. And you see that headline. U.S. warns Pakistan. Okay, that's several thousand miles in the other direction of Ukraine war consequences. What does that mean? Does that mean they're trying to protect, protect Pakistan from the consequence of Ukraine war? But you'd have to read. The headline tells you really gives you a, a false reading on the yeah. situation. What the U.S. is warning Pakistan about is there is don't align with Russia on this. You better be on our side or else. And they're doing it with four other major countries, China, Pakistan, India, and Saudi Arabia, even Saudi Arabia, the home of the petrodollar. Right. They're threatening all of their former allies, supposedly, that you better not do that. And did they're you going, notice, you know what? Did you notice what just happened Take in Saudi Arabia? They declared truce. Yeah, with the Yemen. The first yeah, time. Exactly. Truce between Yemen and Saudi Arabia. That's another indicator of something moving counter to the direction of what the West wants. Because, as we've explained before, that war of Saudi Arabia against Yemen, of course, Saudi Arabia should be pilloried for it. But it was practically, he gave himself up 
as a glove into which fitted perfectly NATO. Mm. They had Australian air operators, French fighter jets, French bloody pilots, uh, British bombs, British command and control operations, American money, well, weapons anyway, to whatever they want. So that was very much like, so it's interesting that that has stopped this week, a week mm -hmm. after the U.S. warns Saudi Arabia, you better not be thinking of, because that is what the Petrodollar is. It, it, it comes down to, well, that was a seminal moment in time. It's 1945, the last year of World War II. Mm -hmm. And FDR, who was several months away from dying himself, has this historic meeting on the Suez with the then king of Saudi Arabia, and they agree that Saudi Arabia will effectively hitch uh, demand. Everyone else who wants oil in dollars will have it in dollars, and they will, they will well, uh, later <coughs> amendment, it became the petrodollar, not at that point in time, it became it in the 1970s when it was agreed with Saudi Arabia that the petrodollar, that the, the dollars they accrue would almost exclusively be reinvested in the city of London and, and uh, Wall Street. Right. And Money for the day world. after the Ukraine war started, Saudi Arabia said, whoa, well, actually, yeah, to China, you, you can pay for it in yuan. Yeah. That's the first time that's happened. Right. It? Yeah, there's big, those are big changes. But again, it's not all at once. And it's, it's the beginning of a change, of a shift in the global order. And that's going to have, a, you know, because the way America will go about it, they're going to create as much chaos as possible as they see that shift progressing. And it's not going to be good. It's gonna, there's going to be a lot of chaos as a result of a, a major change that, like I said, isn't going to happen overnight. But it, it begins uh, now and has begun with Ukraine. So it's, Ukraine isn't about really – it's about – obviously for Russia, it's about protecting itself. But it's also, more importantly, about a shift in the global order away from Anglo-America and to Eurasia as the, as the kind of power – the new power center, the power center that it really has been for quite a long time, uh, in in global global politics and global trade. Um, there was also a detail on South Ossetia. You know, did you know South Ossetia? South Ossetia said they're going to hold a referendum on joining Russia. South Ossetia is a breakaway part of uh, Georgia. Georgians aren't happy about it, but tough luck. Uh, the reason they broke away because they wanted to be Russia aligned. Um, Russia recognized their independence, but it's been in that vague area, uh, as is often the case. But now it's... And the the point is, the South Ossetians didn't decide that on their own, and they didn't decide it by coincidence just now. Mm. This is... And this is part of the reason... I mean, one of the questions is that people have brought up is... And it it's very... It's different, again, in terms of the casualties and stuff. It's very different about how America goes about waging war in other countries. It does it for the for the money and for self, uh, for for personal profit, and it doesn't care about civilians. And Russia, it doesn't care about allies. It attacks on a, coal, a coalition of the willing after the right. fact, after it demonstrates its overwhelming right. firepower. And the way it does it is is that it goes in uh, American military kind of doctrine is that if you are going in against uh, ten guys, ten ten opposition soldiers, you send in. 10 times the amount, or at least 5 times the amount of your soldiers. It's overwhelming power. America is about overwhelming power. You, in terms of conventional warfare, you overwhelm the opposition in whatever way you can. If it's, if it's infantry, overwhelming numbers. If it's uh, firepower, it's overwhelming firepower. The question is, 
Ukraine has 600,000 potential, 600,000 reserves uh, or, or military personnel. Less now, but yeah. Yeah, but it had at the beginning of this. And Russia went in with 200,000. So the ratio is flipped. It's the wrong way around. It's, it's like three to one. It should be three to one, in the, at least three it's, to one in the opposite yeah. direction. So why did Russia do that? Well, they did it because they had a plan and they planned to do it in a very specific way. And they realized that with 200,000, they could do it. But most importantly, Russia has, has at, in ter- including reserves, has potentially one million uh, military personnel available to it. But Russia, Ukraine isn't the be-all and end-all in, in, in the sense of Ukraine isn't the only place mm-hmm. that Russia is potentially exposed to American aggression. It's got a very big border all the way around, right over to China and, and, and the Pacific and in other areas, particularly in the, in, well, the, in, the, in, the, in the Caucasus. So that's... We forget, an, but an in Australia. January, Kazakhstan staved off bloody exactly. violent color Exactly, exactly. So they have to keep military reserves, including, inclu- uh, including personnel and equipment, in order to defend all of the other areas that they know have been potential areas of attack in one way or another from America or its proxies. So that's why 200,000, that's why this low ratio. Um, and it's why, I think, South Ossetia at this time. Because that, I mean, the reason South Ossetia is South Ossetia is because of, at least in part, American machinations against Russia in that southern southern border area back in 2000, 2008. Partly. But I think there's something else. I think this is a signal to the world that it's time to get you know your shit in order. Mm-hmm. And depending on where you are in the world, that'll express itself in different ways. And people in Eurasia, in former Russian Empire, former USSR, are seeing the writing on the wall and they want, they really want to be under Russia's protection. So there's an, an indigenous, organic will towards it as well. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would call a referendum if they're confident of it working. I would also like to add that there are South Ossetian fighters in Ukraine. Yeah, of course. And that's an interesting thing. It's also full of Chechen fighters. Mm-hmm. Why Chechen? Well, apart from them being badasses, um, I think there's something else going on there where I don't think it's for propaganda purposes that Russia does this, but there the really is a multi-ethnic. It's a yeah. multi-pan-Eurasian. It's also semantic, ta- semantic ties with, Cement, with yeah. Dagestanis and, 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 and everyone having a vested interest in it. When you fought together, that's, that's there's a lot of bonds it, it, created. It, it's a coalition of the willing Eastern style, mm-hmm. but the difference here is there is actually genuine motivation towards it. It's not kind of begging with the Bundeswehr two years. After the German government has sent nine to Iraq invasion, the Bundeswehr are going, okay, have you sent 200? Yeah, we are with the coalition of mm. the like, No, you're not. We're in it for the money. <laughs> you're in it for the money after the fact. Yeah. You've no real investment in it. For Chechens, it's different. Like, I mean, I don't think Westerners, this is way over their heads because the Chechen war, like, really did reduce Grozny to Mariupol and worse, you know. And if looking at that from a Western perspective, you think, well, that's it. You know, they'll never, they'll always have to rule with an iron fist in the south of Russia, mm-hmm. the Caucasus region in general. That's not what happened. Mm-hmm. It actually engendered unbelievable cohesion to the mm-hmm. point that they don't want, they're completely comfortable with sending battalions of Chechens in and pretty much giving them a run of things. Mm-hmm. 
Ramzan Kadyrov is there. He's there in Ukraine mm-hmm. periodically. He seems to be going in and out at ease. Mm-hmm. He's not, you know, I'm sure he's well integrated into the overall Russian forces. But they have a lot of, like, leeway to do what they want. Do their own propaganda, mm-hmm. post videos, their own updates, mm-hmm. take in charge of the operations locally as mm-hmm. they see fit. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of a, that's different. That's something different to what the West is used to. Can you imagine the Americans saying to, you know, the 300 Poles who were with them in Afghanistan, yeah, you can go ahead, do what you like, you yeah. know. No, everyone listens, mm-hmm. follow chain of command strictly, you know. Yeah, and just on the point that we're, throw up that Twitter, Twitter link I just sent you, Scotty, this is a, Arestovich, you might have seen him. He's a advisor, close advisor to Zelensky. Uh, he's also someone who's on video having is uh, dressed in drag, uh, like Zelensky, so on about in women's clothes and, and, and singing songs and stuff. There's something there amongst the the, the the Ukrainian politicians who they've a, they've they, a bit they, of a they, they speak a far a right a game, but they actually have a very bendy lefty yeah, yeah, liberal for thing sure, yeah, on. which is worse in a way. Um, um, Hitler and drag. That's what I keep thinking of. Yeah, it's Hitler and drag. Yeah. So, basically, it's just played there. Нет никакого смысла тратить ракеты, которые стоят миллионы долларов, десятки миллионов долларов в одном залпе, на то, чтобы убить народного депутата Украины либо там журналиста. Бить будут по по объектам ВПК, даже если будут бить, и по объектам инфраструктуры, даже если будут бить. А что значит даже если будут бить? Они бьют каждую ночь, причем каждую неделю интенсивность этих ударов увеличивается. Поэтому я не понимаю, в чем причина паники. Ну, конечно, может не долететь, попасть в гражданское, ПВО может сбить, оно свалится на жилой дом. Ну, так это, простите, 36 сутки. So he basically, that's Zelensky's close Myanmar kind of advisor, admitting that Russia only targets military infrastructure. Mm. And his reason for saying it is that these missiles cost a lot of money, and, and well, any military material costs a lot of money, and you're not going to be shooting at, he said, a journalist or a, uh, a, or a politician, but he, he's talking to the population here and he's saying, don't worry, there's nothing to fear because you shouldn't be worried that they're going to go in and wipe out civilians. It doesn't make any sense. And they're, they're, they don't want to waste money. I mean, of course, there's other reasons. He's not uh, allowing or admitting or giving to the Russians the fact that they might, might have some humanitarian motivations as well in the sense that they see, as Putin has said, they see Ukrainian civilians as... Russians as, as their brothers and sisters, so they're not out to kill them all. Um, but that's very different, again, from the American strategy, which is to waste as many missiles as possible, fire and use as many missiles as possible. Why? Because this isn't just about, this isn't really about a war. This is about using as much military apparatus and much military, uh, as, as many military products as possible in order to, uh, for the defense contractors that are close with politicians in America, to generate massive, massive profits from using their products and then getting resupplied through government contracts. And don't worry about where that money's coming from because part of the war is that we're looting the country that we're invading. We're stealing all the resources, we're seizing all of our assets, and that's where it's basically war for profit, purely war for profit. Russia doesn't have that attitude. It's not, it's not in Ukraine to make massive amounts of money for its, its defense contractors. It's there to achieve an ideological goal i.e. protecting itself and its existence, and to remove what is genuinely a very bad thing in Ukraine, which is an ideology that's taken over in Ukraine, amongst the, particularly in the military, but also in, amongst the, in, in the political sphere, which is a... It's not, you can call it neo-Nazi and all that kind of stuff, but it's primarily, and it's been promoted by the West, by the US, 
a virulently anti-Russian, rabidly anti-Russian attitude, which is a very bad thing. It's an evil thing to do. It's like teaching your children to hate their neighbours. Mm. Yeah, and the neighbours that you're intermarried with. Right. And dependent on. Um, I want to throw up something that uh, gives you some idea of how long this has been going on. Um, <clears throat> this is a, an article from April 1st, so almost to the day 72 years ago. Um, it's Associated Press 1950. Headline, Ukrainian rebel urges West to help overthrow Kremlin. Rebel. It's an interesting term. Yeah. The person they're describing is Stepan Bandera. Right. Who's now some mythic folkloric hero in modern Ukraine. For, There's literally a day of, you know, in mem- commemoration. For the leaders of the Ukrainian military. Well, it was encouraged or, or publicly. The, the rank and file. I know at the yeah. time as well. Certain, mem- certain, certain percentage of the population as well, yeah. It's this, a thing, this, as Zelensky has admitted. It's a thing and it's okay. And now it's gas because Ukrainians today are encouraged to see him as a hero, a hero, a nationalistic hero, and that he was on the right side yeah. in World War Two, Hitler's side. Ironically, he was so rabid that when Hitler began Operation Barbarossa, um, Bandera and Lebed, the other guy, in charge of a different, slightly different faction, declared Ukrainian independence, national statehood. They didn't like that. So Hitler, and he was based in Munich at the time, because he thought, you know, we'd all be buddies in this mm. great, glorious fascist war. Uh, Hitler actually had him under house arrest and then put him in a uh, prison. And he was only released in 1944, um, when, he was, when the tide had turned, Stalingrad had happened and the Soviets were coming, and he wanted as much chaos as possible. At which point, Bandera goes to Ukraine and organizes uh, the slaughter of thousands of Ukrainian Jews, uh, Poles, ethnic Russians, anyone, anyone he didn't like. But the man, the man had his own kind of mind camp, his own ideology, his own vision. Him and Lebed both, and they survived. They survived the war. He was um, after the war. He escaped Nuremberg. Escaped Nuremberg trials. He was overlooked. He was basically tapped up by U.S. intelligence. I won't read this article, but it, it goes out. It, it strenuously makes the point inside it that Stepan Bandera is not an asset of at the time, American intelligence was called counterintelligence corps. The fact that they had to state that, of course, mm-hmm. you know, tells you that it's precisely what he was. Um, and his vision, even though it was by then decimated, the OUN, the Organization of Something Partisans, you know, for Ukrainian Partisans, mm-hmm. was decimated. It, at the beginning of World War II, it had a force of about 600,000 people. Mm-hmm. Um, rapidly anti-Russian. Now, at the time, it was, of course, was anti-Bolshevik. We're all, that's what, we're against the communism. That's why we hate Russia. Mm-hmm. But now we don't have that cloak anymore. And it's mm-hmm. the same thing. And it's interesting. So it's actually the Russianness, the hatred of Russianness that have been engendered. Anyway, at that point in time in 1950, you know, they were far fewer in number. They had been killed in the war, partly by the Germans, ironically. The that they look back on fondly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our forefathers were also in the Wehrmacht. The, 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 they have an The actual command and control of Nazi Germany mm-hmm. hated you and killed you too. Yeah, but, the, the, but their allegiance, the, the, their ideology that they share with, shared with the Nazis and shared with Hitler and stuff, 
transcends those kind of like you know yeah in, you know momentary kind geopolitical of dis- disagreements or geopolitical at the time. it's it's a it's a mystical almost like you know Hitler was into kind of mysticism and Arianism and all that yeah. kind of stuff that's what possesses these people and it's bizarre and it's hard to fathom what it is but it's it's almost like just pure self supreme self aggrandizement do you know what I mean in terms of we are the best and we get to rule everybody else and you can see how that would yeah. In terms of how it manifests, would change and shift depending on who was against you or wasn't against you. It's it's not racial, you know. Even though they're white, it's not racial. It's not a racial s- supremacy at its core. It's it's a pure. It's something very strange. It's uh, some dominating. Yeah, domination of others. Desire for domination. Right. Will to power. Right. That that is particularly souped up. Right. In this group of people. Yeah. And it has. Uh, I throw that up to show that it had, was present before it got crushed mainly through just being ground up by the war you know the germans going one way and then the russians the soviets coming back the other um, <clears throat> but it was rekindled by american and oh, actually the article there's an interesting detail i always thought it was cia americans who uh, were particularly duplicitous for tapping up nazis after the war and they did mm-hmm. they they did mm-hmm. but there was some human checks and balances in places. If they were really diehard nutjobs, mm. they did not. If, they, if, if there were crimes that were attributed to them, they were like, okay, no, this one, and they had, had the name, the, the thing they put in the file was ardent Nazi. Mm. So, no, we're excluding him. Mm. He, he's not going to be in a, this new position in the new Bundeswehr or mm-hmm. NATO or whatever, or in NASA over in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, the agency that brought it back to life and that gave Bandera and Lebed and others in the 50s and 60s, the rekindling, the restart that's led to today was MI6. Mm-hmm. It was British intelligence. Yeah. Stay behind network, basically. Yeah. Even, even the Americans were like, okay, some of these guys are just crazy. Yeah. Now, you can't put a paper between them today. In, yeah. in the end, it's, it's half of one, six of one, half dozen of the other. And... Israeli, French, British, and American. I would yeah. put them all together. They're all using it, have their own agents in Ukraine. They've all used Nazis equally, and there's no... But the, the British, like, right at the end of the war, all that stuff about Churchill, you know, Nazi is, is the problem. You've really got to wonder, like, was Nazism their problem, or was it, you know, just more great game geopolitics? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. so bloody cynical. You know? Yeah. Yeah, there was supposedly a report, just quick mention, there was supposedly a report, uh, or, or there was a report that supposedly uh, Zelensky was offered by Biden uh, and that he had, he had negotiated this or um, a, a terms of a, a peace agreement, basically, uh, by Biden uh, that was approved by Putin to that they would, as long as Ukraine would agree to neutral status and, you know, in certain terms and just become neutral, uh, then it would all be over. And Zelensky said no. So this is, there's a certain element of this being Zelensky and, and the people around him and that ideology we just talked about. It, this is their, and their thing. And formally Biden <coughs> said, okay. Biden had, was apparently on board. Now that's uh-huh. the White House, right? Yes, of course, who's, behind, who's yeah. working behind the scenes and stuff. And also who's working behind the scenes in Ukraine mm-hmm. and who's funding... Uh, Who's funding Zelensky and who funded the Azov Battalion, Kolomoisky and other Jewish oligarchs and, and what's going on there. So that gets into very kind of weird and, and you know, amorphous uh, 
murky stuff, so we won't go there. But um, that's just a little point. In the US, um, I just wanted to say, this is just a quick roundup of the other news. There's not much happening in the US. I know some people might disagree with that. I know there's a lot of stuff happening in the US, but the only thing of note that happened just today, actually, uh, I think it was last night, so today, our time, uh, it's just um, <clears throat> Sacramento. Everything isn't, everything isn't cool in California. Somebody opened up with a... Uh, yeah, I think it was an automatic rifle or something and shot dead six people in Sacramento. In downtown Sacramento. Ten others injured. So, that's <laughs> what's going on in America. That's my summation of American news today. A mass shooting. Yeah. And I didn't hear about that, so I presume, therefore, <clears throat> this is just... That's just whatever. That happens all the time. You know, it's just, no I mean, it's another massacre, but I, like spontaneous, you know, it was somewhat yeah. of a grudge kind of thing. And the last one is the YouTube link that I sent you earlier on, on the, on the, on the bunch of links. Uh, it's just, we're back to COVID, because uh, we haven't mentioned COVID in a long time, and this is a musical interlude to light, lighten up your day. Uh, this is the censored YouTube version of this little song. Uh, it's a song, I don't know who it's by, but I know it. It's called, the song title is called Hit Me With Your Best Shot. It's like an 80s song. And it's pretty cool. I know these guys. I recognize the mask and the clown outfit. Yeah. And uh, I just thought it was a great song. You know, we can play a little bit of it, but take note that there's a little uh, uh, censor, bit of censorship, because, I mean, the words that are missing that are overwritten by the video is, is death shot right so the original version on rumble is death shots hit me with your death shot <laughs> but this is the approved youtube version which is on youtube and it's allowed to stay on youtube family because, friendly yeah we'll just play a little bit and we'll fade out as we go hello i'm bill gates Something like this. Safe and defective. You just shoot them right into the vein. No, I don't want to distrust in the process. <laughs> Safety. Technology doesn't even exist. <laughs> Alright, you can watch the rest. We'll put it in the links. You can watch the rest yourself. Great tune. Catchy. The kids yeah, will yeah. love it. Yeah. So yeah, we'll we'll leave you that. Number one. Um, upbeat upbeat song for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for uh, watching for listening whatever you're doing and thanks to our chatters uh, we hope you enjoyed the show like and share please comment yeah. well, we know you've all commented but uh, yeah share this around if you can yeah and uh, yeah we'll be back things are things are changing there are big changes afoot 
Uh, but again, it's going to take time, so nobody can expect uh, everything to just radically change overnight. You've got to watch it as it goes and pay attention. That's what we'll be doing, and we'll be back next week with any updates on what's been going on between now and then. So have a good week, and we'll see you then. Thanks for watching. Bye, everyone. Bye. Can't stop the signal now.